The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 293. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning into the show. Great conversation today with Lieutenant Colonel Garth Massey. I met Garth a couple years ago in San Francisco when they had me come out to a uh, leadership conference that the Marines, Reserve Marine Unit he was in, was putting on. Did a couple keynotes and had a couple conversations with Garth, and we kept in touch over the past couple years and brought him on the show finally to talk about leadership because he gets it, man. I love this conversation. It was one of my favorites. Uh, Garth understands leadership better than most. He's got a very intelligent and unique concept the way he looks at it. It's not about training, in his opinion. It's about growth, and I can't agree with him anymore. Uh, like I said, for the past 22 years, he's been a officer in the Marine Corps, but he's also the founder and chief leadership officer of MLM Methods, Military Leadership Methods, where he's a consultancy, and he trains individuals and organizations on how to understand and appreciate the power of leadership. You're really going to enjoy this conversation. Again, you've heard me talk about some of these concepts. Any modicum of success I've had over the past 15 to 20 years, I can directly attribute to my time in the Marine Corps. And Garth understands that and speaks to it and helps others understand that well. He's very successful in his consultancy. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, Before we get to Garth, again, have you checked out my Legacy Leader Blueprint online course? You can go to there, LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. You can learn more how you can access my 20 videos, my four hours hours of online leadership training. And if you pay a little bit more, you can get four hours, up to four hours of one-on-one coaching with me to help cement the material. It's perfect for brand new uh, leaders, people into leadership. So if you're an organization, you need to train five to 10 high performers. This is a perfect and economical way to get people to understand and plant the seeds of leadership in your culture. So go check it out at LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com, or you can find the links at DoseOfLeadership.com to find out all the details. All right, without further ado, my friend, Lieutenant Colonel Garth Massey on Dose of Leadership. Well, Garth, I'm so excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, glad to be here. Thank you. It's always exciting to have prior military members or former military members, but particularly Marines. As you know, I love talking to Marines about leadership. I've mentioned many times on this show, and I think when we met, I'd mentioned I never realized how much the Marine Corps kind of taught me about leadership until I got away from it. Um, You're still involved in it quite heavily, but did you have that same experience as you kind of started dabbling into the corporate world? Did you... Always know the Marine Corps was central to your kind of leadership foundation, or did or did a lot of things become aware as you got more away from it? I, you know, I would love to say it hit me like a white light, but uh, no, it, it happened over time. I I ran a, a sales team, I ran client service teams, operation teams, and and the more you know, people you hired, the more people you brought on, the more I realized that there's a difference between.
knowledge and fluency. Right. And uh, a lot of the programs out there teach knowledge. You know, you, you memorize the five steps to freedom and you, you'll be a better salesperson. And what I really wanted was fluency. Um, in the military, you know, we have one weapon. You have a, a rifle. And you have to fight in the desert and you have to fight in the jungle and you have to fight in the water. And you have to use the same weapon, but you got to be able to apply it across different environments. And with my teams on the corporate side, uh, the environment was different sales cultures, different different clients, different um, you know marketing plans. And you still had to have the same people, though, doing those sales effectively. So uh, building fluency was something the military does really well. And, yeah. and the, the longer I played in the civilian side, the more I realized what we really need is, is essentially what the military calls squad leader school, where you teach fluency and, and capabilities um, you know, to your, your new managers, your new supervisors, your executive team, uh, so that they're focused on accomplishing the mission and building other leaders which is a great way to go. So that's kind of where this company came from. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, that, uh, that's the first I've heard anybody put it in that perspective, but you're absolutely right. And I think if I look back when I was thrust into the corporate arena away from the Marine Corps, um, it seemed like everybody around me was looking for those steps or that checklist. And they kind of assumed that I was coming from the military and being an aviator, there was there were checklists that helped me be a better leader, and it that wasn't the case. And you just kind of hit it on the head there about that fluency piece, and that and I think the critical piece that you said is getting people to essentially teach people to take their jobs, and that fluency that comes from that is really where the magic happens. I think. I mean, is is that sum it up correctly? Yeah, I mean, if, if you have people who understand who they are, they understand what they bring to the table. Um, they're capable of focusing on the mission. Those are all military tenets, right? Like you, yeah. you have to know what the end state is. You have to know what you're fighting and how, right? And then you have to be able to give subordinates the flexibility to go out and solve problems because the chaos of the battlefield requires them to make decisions that you're not going to be able to see. I mean, if you think about it as a, like a paradigm, right? Like in corporate America, people bring information to a boss. The boss funnels all that information and makes decisions. And that becomes the choke point for action. Like you, right. you can't get enough stuff going because he can't. That person cannot process everything fast enough. So you got to flip it. And and leaders' roles need to be spreading information and letting subordinates make decisions. But to do that, you have to train them. You have they have to be fluent in their jobs. They have to understand the corporate mission, the region mission, the department mission, their particular office. Those things are all very important. Well said. And I think that, that and I can't overemphasize that point, what you just said. I mean, it really is about if you completely understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and why, then you're better suited, particularly the lower uh, echelons or the people closer to you know the front lines are that much more capable and it's necessary that they make decisions almost asking for forgiveness instead of permission is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, and, and and that's what happened to me. Uh, you know, I, I had a sales team, just twelve-ish people. We had everything west of the Mississippi, and the CEO was a former Marine who brought me into the company, and he asked me to give like a little one-hour, um, you know, how to plan better class. And I was kicking it around. I'm still in the reserves, and at the time, I was down on a rifle range with you know, a, a couple of the Marines, and I was talking about it. And this whole idea of squad leader school came up, and uh, it was that was where sort of the lightning bolt of, mm-hmm. of entrepreneurship ever hit like so i took that one hour class and then turned that into a workshop and then launched that workshop repeatedly over several years and now it's been you know about eight years and all i do is is run these leadership development programs for companies 
and and we use a couple techniques that I think are, are different, a lot more experiential stuff, uh, spread out over longer periods of time, interweaving a lot of topics. But what we get is higher retention. We get people out of our classes that can apply leadership to any environment. Um, and, and I think all of that stems from understanding sort of your place and what you ought to be focused on. Yeah. So how do you approach an organization? Um, particularly, I found they there's common uh, perceptions of the military and the Marine Corps in, in particular. Um, how do you approach an organization that doesn't have that much experience or knowledge about the Marine Corps and show them how yeah. this is applicable to them? So it, a lot of it's with conversations. I mean, you look at... Uh, the common misconceptions about the military, you know, it's the, we have to yell and bark and people do what we say because we have rank. And, um, some of that is true in, in certain aspects. You know, you have to remind officers when they get out of the Marine Corps, you know, that just because you don't have something shiny on your collar, like people, people don't recognize <laughs> right, that, right. that you're in shark longer, right? So okay. there is a mindset adjustment. But I would tell you, uh, you know, every, part of every company is marketing. So, you know, my company is called Military Leadership Methods or ML Methods, but, uh, there's no push-ups, you know, we're not, right. we're not teaching people to bark and yell. And that conversation, uh, happens very quickly. Like when you sit down with a leader who's looking at culture, who's looking at developing their organization, what they want to know is what gets me to better communication, what drives initiative, what gets ingenuity going, you know, how do I get people to get engaged? Um, and, and that conversation can very quickly, you know, shift from, all right, I get it. You're not, you know, standing in front of the room and telling everybody the right way to get things done is to bark orders out. Um, you know, I, I like to tell the story of General von Molke, who was a Prussian in the yeah. 1800s, who took a bunch of Clausewitz stuff and essentially said, why are we arguing about whether authority is more important than autonomy? Right. You know, this, this back and forth between I need control or you need full, full ability to do whatever you think is right. Instead, we should talk more about why. Um, and there are a lot of popular talks going on about why right now, but, you know, Von Mulkey was doing this 150 years ago. Yeah. And it was on the military side. And, and he said, if we talk more about why, and then we let the doers talk more about how, and we both focus on our lane, what you actually get, um, you know, is, is faster growth, faster action, more ingenuity. And that, that developed into what we call in the military a mission type order, where leadership spends their time focusing on what you want to see achieved. Like, what does MLOT look like on the Hill? And then your staff spends their time sourcing, staffing, doing, uh, you know, making things happen. And, uh, you know, communication plus technology equals a lot of micromanagement. So you have to be careful <laughs> right. with our world of, of instant communication and videos and, and phones and, and email updates every hour. But if you can avoid that siren's call telling you you have to control everything, uh, you can achieve so much more by just setting vision uh, on, on tasks and on jobs. I'm so, so yeah, go ahead. No, I say, so that, that became the hook, right? So the, the military thing for me is it makes for awesome stories and it makes for cool anecdotes and good conversations, but uh, it truly is there as the basis of a conversation about what accelerates growth, and that's what matters. I love that you brought up Von Mulkey. I mean, you're the first guy that I've, I've run into that uh, I've brought him up in a, in a couple presentations too in this whole, you know, we for, I don't know, 150 years we've been kind of, poisoned what I call by that kind of Frederick Wenzel Taylor, you know, scientific management theory and this whole idea of intent. And like you were talking about of kind of, um, you know, making uh, decisions at the strategic lowest level possible um, really was, again, was around when 
in the mid 1800s with von Moltke. Oh yeah. And uh, well, you, if you remember, like, so at the time he was figuring that out, and by the way, he was working on it because Napoleon had, had handed it to him, right? Uh, and the Prussians had been sadly defeated. But meanwhile, in America, we were becoming a very industrialized society, right? And so, time study became the focus, and so everything was time study, which is now morphed, you know, fast forward to ten years ago, and everything is about time efficiency, time management. You know, our our phones have fifty to do apps on them because they make us more efficient. But I would tell you, that's not a differentiator anymore. Uh, you know, companies don't go to market and find that they are beating the competition because they are more time management effective. Right. They beat the competition because people understand how they fit better, uh, that they manage their energy better. You know, they do the things that get them charged up because they know what the end state is. They know where they're trying to be. And yeah, all of that, the military was working on that years ago. And not every military out there can do it. It's, it's, uh, it requires a lot of education and a lot of training and a lot of trust. Um, and there are certainly still militaries out there that fight with attrition warfare, but uh, that's not the way we teach it in our class. No, no. Well, I mean, and the whole idea of, you know, and again, the idea of maneuver warfare, of all this idea of, of kind of, you know, not trying to necessarily squelch the chaos, just be the calming force within the chaos and learn it to, to use it to your advantage. You know, I, I don't know so many companies I've, come across and even one that I was working in um, an aircraft manufacturer, a very large organization and, and their whole emphasis when they came out with a new initiative was like, we're going to be the best planners on the planet because when you plan effectively well, then you execute well. And I had a problem with that because I mean, I suppose, I mean, I, I understand why we need to plan, but I guess what I saw in this corporate setting was that there was more um, we're trying to plan for perfection instead of how I look at planning is it's to prepare myself for the inevitable unforeseen, right? I look at a plan so that I can be better prepared to deal with the inevitable, you know, thing I wasn't planning for that's going to crop up. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, so I think this is a trend in leadership where, and we look for the silver bullet. We, we look for the solution that, that gets us to, um, you know, one simple thing and we're done and we're done for the rest of our, our corporate lifestyle. Um, and I don't think it's there. I, I think conceptually we have to understand what is our role as leaders, each of the levels that we're working in. And I would tell you that we forget sometimes that, you know, the skill sets that make us effective as entry level supervisors are not skill sets that will make us good managers. And those are not good skill sets that make us good leaders yes. or good regional directors or good corporate directors. And so at the very baseline, right, when, when you do good things, um, you're a doer. You, you know, your job is to create widgets and you might be the best widget maker out there. So you get promoted because that's what we do. We take our high performers and we give them, you know, additional people in the hopes that through osmosis, they'll create good doers around them. Um, but I learned that lesson the hard way when my, my daughter turned 15 and we got in the car, uh, you know, to, to go drive. And I sat her in there with her learner's permit. She'd watched me drive for 15 years and I great, put it in reverse. Let's back it out of the driveway. She looked at me and said, well, okay, how? <laughs> right. <laughs> and I had forgotten that, you know, just because she was sitting in the back seat looking over my shoulder, like she wasn't taking notes and she wasn't really learning. Um, so being, you know, the kind father that I am, I said, okay, well, we don't want to go really fast and the sun is going down. So let's put it in, in for night and then we'll, we'll back up that way. And uh, 
so after I had a little fun with it, um, you know, we, we corrected where we're supposed to actually be driving and, and uh, took off. Well, you know, look at that in the corporate culture. You know, when you have a brand new company, you have someone with a lot of drive, a lot of initiative. They surround themselves with people with a lot of drive, a lot of initiative. Everybody puts in intensive hours. People sacrifice, you know, health, family, time, everything to grow the company. And you know, around 50 people, because of our federal and state laws, you have to hire somebody to help you with the bureaucracy so that you don't get sued when you have to hire and fire people or when you fail to get your healthcare benefits set up correctly or whatever it is, right? And so we bring in people who are masters of bureaucracy. Um, but then those people later, as the company grows to 100, 150, you know, the Malcolm Gladwells of the world would tell us, like, you can't tr- keep track of all the tribal relationships past 100 or 150 people. So CEOs, presidents, start to feel disconnected from their own teams. They look around the company and they don't see the same 10 people that help them kick off the company. So they, they feel like culture is off. Mm-hmm. And in business in America, just like with time studies, we go to the department that put their name on on human, right? And they, they ask for training and development or they ask for leadership or they ask for whatever coming out of um, the department in human resources that has traditionally been the bureaucratic stopgap to keep you from getting sued. And uh, what they've really done is they've advocated culture to their admin shop. And uh, when I looked at that and realized you need to find a way to get leaders to talk to leaders and you need to find a way to get leaders to talk to people who can look them in the eye and say you're delegating wrong. Right. Handing off tasks isn't delegation. Like your job isn't to say, you know, Nancy, Bob, you're responsible for this now. Your job is to define what Camelot looks like on the hill and let them solve it. And you have to be okay with, you know, the machinations they're going to go through. So you talked about like the planning procedure. Well, that's great. A planning process is phenomenal for letting people know how you think, where you're going to be checking in, what are the warning signs you're going to be looking for that their project is on task or off task. But it is not the, if you fill in all these blanks, you will solve all the world's problems and, and, you know, this mission will be successful. So you give people a planning process so that you can communicate in a succinct and similar fashion. You don't give people a planning process so that if they fill in all the blocks and form, there will be success. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You said what you said there is resonates deeply with me, what you said. I mean, and I see some of the frustrations that I've experienced both working in the corporate setting and then also in, in um, working with organizations and coaching them like you do. You're absolutely right. It's like we, we think that, well, I mean, every organization has a culture anyway. I mean, we, you have one, whether you like it or not, it's just, is it the culture that you want? And, the general kind of um, um, tendency is to go to, like you said, those HR folks, and, and you said it really well that these aren't necessarily the culture folks, right? These are the people who are tasked to kind of keep us on a straightened level, meeting all those regulations that are bestowed upon us. But when you talk about culture to a, a CEO or an organization, um, I find a lot of people get a glassy look in their eyes. It's almost like even the word leadership, what does it even mean? And when you say culture, what does that even mean? I mean, so how do you, how do you write the ship or how do you even start to plant the seeds of cultural change? I find that one of the most difficult challenges in an organization, particularly when they don't, number one, really understand what their culture is or when they do understand what it is, it's usually dysfunctional and they want to get it, you know, completely, uh, going down the right path. How do you do, how do you start that process? Yeah, I would tell you one of the most 
powerful tools is commander's intent, which yeah. we understand in the military. But, but outside of the military, it's being able to articulate or answer two questions. One, my desire is dot, dot, dot. And two, in order to. So it's not a mission statement for the entire company. You don't have to say, you know, we're going to be the most, you know, value-minded, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, on every project, on every task, on every sale, you know, a leader needs to focus on those two questions. They need to be able to say, my desire is to, you know, move the needle and do these three things. And then the in order to is the tough part. If you can answer the in order to, what you're really giving people is, uh, the cultural fit, right? Mm-hmm. Like the reason we're trying to raise our quota, the reason we're trying to up our sales, the reason we're trying to make efficiencies in these three departments, you know, is so that we can be, you know, insert whatever it is you're working towards. So if you can answer my desire is, and in order to, you start to work on culture that way. Yeah. Because now people are going to come to you and say, okay, well, if you're really trying to get to this in order to, here's a way you could solve it. It might be something you'd never thought of. Mm-hmm. But as a as a the CEO, as a president, now suddenly there's initiative going on. And, you know, there, there are people taking action steps that, that you didn't have to personally lead or create or drive. Um, and and then, then the hardest part is, like I said, the, the siren's call to come in and, and, you know, grab a hold of the bull by the horns. And, and you have to be able to step back and let them solve the problems. Right. And is no, I mean, you'll see... You'll see articles on it now a lot talking about how you have to be willing to let your people fail. Right. Well, it's, it's true. Uh, the problem is we use the word fail in all those articles. It, it's not about letting your people fail, right? It's letting your people strive or letting them try or letting them, you know, giving them an opportunity to work against friction. You know, but the, because we use the word fail, a lot of people discount that as, as a technique. I mean, you know, the easy example is children riding bikes. You know, they're going to fall. Right. As a parent, there's nothing harder than standing there watching them skid off the bike and bounce down the street. But some degree of that is necessary so that, you know, they figure out the balance and they, you know, they understand the dangers and they ride safely. It's the same in business. Yeah. But, yeah. And we would never, hard to do. we would never call our kid, you know, falling down as a failure. Right. And that's, that's, no. that's a perfect analogy. Like right? you never, when your kids learn how to walk or ride a bike or whatever, you get excited when they, you know, take it two feet, then four feet, then 10 feet, or even when they're learning how to walk and they stumble and they fall. I mean, that's not a failure. That's a a huge accomplishment. And so, yeah, that's what you're saying. It's the same. It's the same way. I love it. Yeah, but think about it in the corporate setting, right? Like if you gave a project and somebody suddenly a week behind on the project, you're not excited. (laughs) Right. We look at it through the wrong lens, right? Right, We look at it through the lens of like, well, they didn't hit this wicket, therefore, you know, but if you apply that to children on a bike, you know, uh, it would be ridiculous not to celebrate the first two, two pedals. That's know? right. Well, so that's it's all perspective. That's and, right. It's all perspective. And, and then, I was just going to say, and that's why the intent part is so powerful because when you have, the, if you're up there in the upper echelons of leadership or in the senior levels and, and you're maniacally focused on the intent or what you're trying to accomplish and why, that's something you can always point back to. And to your point, keep it in perspective, right? Because if, right. you're, if you're down in the weeds and all you're worried about are your KPIs, and because this KPI is red because of whatever you got set up, I mean, well, how does it really affect the bigger picture? Is it really affecting the bigger yeah. picture, right? I, I love data. I think dashboards and the ability to, to culminate information and find trends is a, is a phenomenal advantage that we have that we didn't, 
necessarily have as, or as easy to get to as, as it used to be. Um, I think it's great, but the problem is data can very quickly become a fetish. Right. right? You can become obsessed with a number. And if you forget that the number is a reflection of a of an end state, of a mission, of an intent, if you forget that, you start fixing the number for the sake of fixing the number. Yep. And that's where you've turned a very leadershipy type thing, like focusing on the bigger picture, and now you're just counting bricks. Or right. you know, it, it, there's an old analogy, right? It's the you know there are gentlemen down there with axes and they're chopping down trees and they're right behind them is the management level and they're taking axes off the line and they're sharpening them and they're giving them new axes and, and they're chopping trees down like crazy and they're doing really good and finally somebody climbs up a tree and looks around and says oh my goodness wrong forest and the <laughs> right. managers call back up and say yeah but we're making such great progress well, <laughs> right. you know, they started measuring the wrong progress and then it became the defining aspect of their careers and that's no good right so what, what I like to equate it to is the siren's call of leadership, right? The, you know, the sirens were the old bane of sailors. The, right. You know, they would be on the rocks, the mermaids calling out to them, and, and they would drive their ships into the rocks and everyone would drown. Well, we get that in leadership, right? It's, it's that need to have your picture on the newsletter. It's that right. need to stand with your hands on the hips like Peter Pan at the, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. the corporate meeting and, and be seen leading because we think of leadership as something that you are seen doing. Yeah. Uh, and I would suggest if, if you've gotten to the point where, you know, now you're in the photograph, you might have missed the leadership opportunity. Like right. You, you've already, <laughs> you've already fallen prey to the, to the, the rocks on the shoals of your, your, your corporate environment. And, and you have to be careful. But the real leadership part is about shaping the environment and setting that culture, which is a more, more patient, more thoughtful process. But that's all focused on commander's intent. My desire is in order to. I love that. And you can live with it. That's right. And it, it, it applies to everything. You're absolutely right. I love that you said that. I mean, I, this is such a fun conversation for me because I, it, everything you're talking about really is the kind of the secret sauce to kind of, as you said, changing the culture. And it is gritty. It is grimy. It's behind the scenes. It's sacrificial. But that's where it's that's where the significance comes into play, right? And that's what makes it so meaningful. I love the Peter Pan, you know, visual. You're so right. I mean, if you're trying to focus on, you know, kind of the way I kind of talk about that is like it's it's we're we're all in love with the the idea of leading, and we get suckered down that trap. And as you say, the sirens call. But really, you should be concerned about the act of leading, which is completely different, right? Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, part of it's our culture, right? Here in America, when we have leaders, we make statues. Right. I mean, we carve their faces in the side of mountains. We we put them on horses and stick them in national parks. Like, that's how we recognize good leadership. Yeah. Um, You know, and there there are other examples of of leaders who shape an environment. They never made a statue, but they also, you know, avoided the battle. And uh, that's worth study. Yeah, that is. You're right. For me. Mm -hmm. I want my company to be around for years and I want it to support the lifestyle of all our employees. And I want it, you know, and, and that ultimately is more important to me than, uh, you know, my face on the the corporate dollar bill. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So who, um, if you could think back and you look, I mean, whose shoulders are you standing on or who, who do you really want to emulate as a leader? Well, that's a tricky one. Uh, you know, we have a thing in the military. It's called JJ Did Tie Buckle. I'm sure you're. Oh yeah. And it's the four, it's the 14 leadership traits. Arguably, should be 16. And it's things like you know courage and loyalty and, and justice and judgment and knowledge and 
Um, each of the letters of JJ to Ted Buckle stands for one of the traits. And in one of my programs, we used to rush through it. Now it's actually a much longer program because several people came and said, you know, nobody talks about this anymore. And uh, one of the things we do is we go talk about each of the different leadership traits, and then we do an exercise trying to identify people that, you know, embody that trait. And what I found is that unless you want the bias of the halo effect to be applied, um, it's not that I have one person whose shoulders I'm standing on. There are people who um, embody loyalty to me, and I use them as that example. But a different person might be courage, and a different person yeah. might be justice or, or initiative or... Um, you know, endurance. And so the process of sitting down and kind of looking at, well, what are all the things and where did I find examples in my life of all of this uh, really starts to build your, your, your origin story, right? Yeah. And it shows you they were good examples in all those traits from different people. And your job is, is to put them all together. It's funny. It, it, there are a lot of leadership theories, right? There's the, the, the great man theory where it all starts, like you're just born a leader. There's the situational theory. There's transgressional, transactional. There's all sorts of different leadership theories. Um, I have one that I, I haven't found anywhere. I think I made it up, but it's, it's uh, the connector leadership theory. And the idea is your job is to recognize strengths and talents of all the people around you and then connect the right ones together yeah. and then let them go do their thing. If you're not trying to control any situations, you're just trying to make sure good people are in the right places doing the things that they're good at. And then let them go. Right. Uh, and is- so, yeah, I mean, whose shoulders do I stand on? I mean, dozens of people, um, you know, from a scoutmaster back in Alaska when I was growing up that, that made an impact on the way I, you know, valued integrity to people I work with now. And some of my clients right now are phenomenal of leadership for me. I, I love working with them uh, because they all have a different taste and a different perspective. My job is just to see how do I connect this to the best version of me uh, or the best version of anyone else. And isn't that the ultimate, I love that answer by the way, but isn't that the ultimate um, really calling of leadership? I mean, it's the ultimate level of leaders building other leaders. I mean, that's the transformational piece I think that we should all be striving for. Dare I even say that we're obligated to try to to try to uh, pursue if we're going to dip our foot in the leadership pool and if we're going to dive in that really is the ultimate piece of it, right? I mean, it's never about us. It's always about how many people can we transform before I assume room temperature here. Right. Well, I mean, that's the test, right? Like, uh, yeah, I could grow another leader, and even that is only half the solution. Like, can the leader that I make? also go grow another leader. Right. And and that that's the force multiplier. I mean, if I am an above average performer and you give me three people and I can get one of them to average or above average, I can get one of them at or below average and I have one other performer, I'm not doing so great. Right. You know, even if I'm bearing the load, right? So the trick is I have to release all the doing of things, focus purely on growing the people and get two or three of them that are now at or above average. You know, so that my team outperforms not because of my personal contribution, but because I have shaped an environment. Um, you know, I like to say lead like a farmer. I mean, your your job, you, you get seeds, right? And you want to grow something, watermelon, you know, or, or corn or whatever. And you plant the seeds. And uh, it was uh, Frederick von Hayek said something similar in his Nobel uh, Peace Prize in economics in the 1970s. And, and he essentially said, don't celebrate economic 
folks for coming up with solutions to problems because we're the guys who made the problems. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't be surprised to tell right. us how great it was. Right. So, I mean, you know, if you know you want to grow corn, great. You get to pick the seed. You get to put it in the ground. You get to space it between other things. But really, leaders have three jobs, and it's all environment shaping. They have to let the sunlight through, so don't block it. Right? You have to do a little bit of providing nutrients, give it food and water, you know, training, growth, education, resources, whatever it is. And then you have to do some weeding, like get rid of the policies and processes that are stopping people from doing their job. Get rid of that mindset that it was like that when I got here, so I, I just have to keep doing it this way. Like allow people to be innovative and take action steps. Um, and if you can do sunlight, nutrients, and weeding, uh, you're ahead of the crowd in terms of leadership. And the trick is, though, you, you know, you're not just a gardener, right? You're not making flowers. Like flowers are pretty, but they don't produce anything. Like you need to grow crops that produce things that can be used for other stuff. That's the test. Yeah. Uh, Great you know, analogy. If you grow a crop that produces other things, you're you're you were worth having around. You made an impact as a leader. That's a good thing. Love it. Great analogy. So what are you excited about? What is, I mean, all this stuff is phenomenal. This is a, such a fun conversation for me, but uh, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to w- with your company? You know, you're going eight years strong now. What, what's the future look like? Yeah, we, we've been doing a lot of corporate programs. I have some great, you know, national and international clients. We'll work with the company for a year or two years, some of them four years now. Um, doing their outsourced leadership development programs, so it's like an in-house program for them. But the coolest new thing we're launching uh, is this four-week leadership workshop. And uh, I know things like that exist out there, but this is kind of like the tough mutter of leadership. Uh, you know, we're finding these old warehouses or, or abandoned, you know, commercial real estate property space, and we descend on it for a month. And you get in a class, and it runs every Tuesday night for four weeks. And it's, you know, four, four areas of focus for leaders, you know, building yourself, building your skills, learning about strategy and presentations, and then accountability. And uh, it's going to be great because you'll come awesome. into this off-site location. It'll change every time. Um, and then when you get into the class, it's four weeks to connect you with other professionals, deepen your leadership knowledge, get that stuff, uh, and make it part of, your organization, then you bring it back and you can build new leaders, train the trainer. So uh, that program is brand new. It's coming out in July. Uh, it's the first one. It'll be here in the LA area, actually. Um, so you'll see, if you go to the website, you'll uh, within a week, you'll have the sign-up page there that people can get on and, and participate in that program. And then the goal is to take that on the road. Uh, it'll be, you know, like those, um, those uh, Tough mutter races, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll be yeah. the tough mutter of leadership. We will pop up in Boston and Chicago and Dallas, and you got to get in. There's only room for twenty, uh, but anybody who gets in is going to get a ton of great information that they can take home and apply instantly back at work. Um, so it's it's uh, pretty excited about that. It's going to be huge. Man, I love that. That sounds phenomenal. That that sounds really exciting. I love that. I love that concept. I love that idea, and and uh, I can't wait to see that unrolled. That's going to be awesome. How can people get in touch with you directly? Well, I'm easy to find. Uh, you can write me at hq at mlmethods. Um, uh, and then uh, the website's mlmethods.com. So, um, you know, it's easy to, to pick there. There's, you know, all the social media stuff, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. Um, heck, if you go to the website, there's a monthly newsletter. I know everyone has a newsletter. Mine's very short and uh, usually has a video and a book recommendation. I think... Leaders obviously need to be doing things like this podcast. They need to be reading. They 
discussion. As long as you stay engaged in the discussion of how to improve, you can call yourself a continuous leader and, and you'll be adding to your skill set. So you know, join the discussion with us. That'd be fantastic. Um, but yeah, the, the site's mlmethods.com. I mean, we'll have links to all of this. I got to tell you, Arthur, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. It is chock full of great leadership nuggets. Um, I, I really enjoy talking with you. I'm, I'm blessed to know you, have you in the, the dose of leadership circle. And I look forward to staying in, in contact with you and collaborating and doing all kinds of stuff with you in the future. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks. It's gonna, is there time for one plug? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So I work with this nonprofit. It's called Veterans for American Business Development, or VABD. And I would tell any listener out there, if you are interested in hiring veterans, um, go to the site, VABD.org, O-R-G. And uh, if there's two buttons. One says, I'm a veteran. One says, I'm an employer. And if you like hiring vets, all you do is click on, I'm an employer. It takes about 10 seconds. Put your URL where people can submit resumes and put your company logo so that people can see what you are and then list every industry you're part of. And if you're a vet, click on the I'm a veteran button and you'll see a list of veteran-friendly companies. Now, that it's not a promise of a job. There's no guarantee that you get to work there. Um, but it's a great place to start because it's a list of companies that you know took an active step to hire a vet. And it's small. It just launched last week, but uh, it's been growing every day, and there's some real heavy hitter companies on there, and there's some nice little ones. And, and uh, I just encourage anybody to go check it out, babd.org, uh, both if you're looking for a job or if you're, you're willing to hire vets or interested in, in helping out. Fantastic. I love that too, and I'll have a link to that on the post, and I'll be certainly to share that with all my social media circles too on Dose of Leadership. Man, Garth, what an outstanding conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.